Okay, a couple of uh, quick announcements here while you're kind of getting settled and ready to go. Uh, we had a great turnout for Men's Steak Night this week, uh, so thanks to all the men that uh, made that happen. Unfortunately, I was at uh, Senior Night uh, basketball game for our oldest son, Malachi, uh, who is uh, homesick today. Um, so uh, great, great job on the Men's Steak Night. Of course, Lent has now started, so uh, had a great attendance for Ash Wednesday in spite of the weather. Uh, was better than what it could have been. Uh, so thanks to all who uh, participated in the meal and the service as well. So remember now, every Wednesday up until Holy Week, we will have a special uh, Lenten service. Uh, it's about 30, 35 minutes long, uh, so a short uh, Wednesday service at 7 o'clock. Prior to that, uh, a fellowship meal, a Lenten meal here in the, uh, the fellowship hall. It'll start about 5.30. Most people arrive around 6 or so, so uh, pay attention to that. We're still looking for a few more households to sign up to help host the choir from Lutheran High School Northwest, somewhere that direction, outside of Detroit. Uh, that information is in the Narthex. Uh, they'll be here, what is it, March 21st and 22nd. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Sign-up sheet is in the Narthex. If you can host uh, two kids, uh, they can sleep on the floor. They're high school kids. They can sleep on the couch. Uh, all you need to do is come pick them up, uh, give them some sugar uh, Sunday morning, and drop them back off. And uh, they uh, will sing for both of our services. Uh, this is a 60-voice choir, so this is going to be pretty cool. Um, pastor, uh, a friend, acquaintance of mine through the English District had reached out. They're on their way home, so this will be their last stop. So I'd like to kind of give them a good send-off before they go back home. Uh, so if you can take two kids, it doesn't matter how far away you live, they've been traveling all week. So if you live a half an hour, 45 minutes away, that's no big thing for the high school kids. They've been in a bus all week. So um, so if you can help out with that, that would be most appreciated. Okay. Uh, let's see. Any other announcements? Pastor Grady. Yep, I'm going to get to you, Linda. And let's do that right now. So I'm going to invite Linda Silverberg up. Um, she is a part of our missions board, and she's got some information here about Lutheran Child and Family Services opportunity for you to do some volunteer work. Take it away. I've been getting some um, notices from Lutheran Child and Family Services about ways that we could help them out, and I'm going to post them on the in the hallway on the board. One is about the sharing place. Not only would they like to have donations, but they need volunteers to work at the sharing place to help set up the food and and the items and to uh, help their people help the people who are receiving them to come and get them another request that i got from lutheran child and family services is about volunteers for a once a month activity night for residents in their emergency shelter 10 to 12 kids at a time ages about 12 to 17 sort of like a, a little youth group, devotion, snacks, prayer, games, and I have a lot more information uh, from uh, Brady, who's in charge of that. So I'll put these out there, and if you're interested, especially in that one, I can put you in touch with him to, uh, where'd you go? <laughs> Here. <laughs> I felt awkward standing on the platform behind you, so I sat down. <laughs> Even if I stood on the platform well, there, you do and that. you I'll were get, down, I'll get down there, here. That's it better. still wouldn't matter. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I'll you, Linda. 
All right, appreciate it. Oh, my. Okay, any other announcements before we get started with Bible study? Good, good. Lord be with you. O Lord God, you led your ancient people through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. So guide the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So you hear a lot of the references to wilderness, to journey, to walking, and that's all part of kind of the Lenten theme. Uh, If you haven't picked up your Lenten devotional booklets in your box, uh, please do so, Eyes on Jesus, along with a calendar you can stick on your fridge uh, or by your bed with a daily scripture reading. Uh, But that concept of of a 40-day journey, uh, you know, really comes from scripture. Um, I've got a newsletter article that explains just a little bit more the history of Lent um, in terms of the days getting longer and the connections to um, our anticipation and preparation for Jesus and his uh, sacrificial work there, uh, Holy Week, in Jerusalem. Um, So pay attention to some of the themes. Because of that, you'll notice on Sunday morning, um, our voices are somewhat subdued. This is a repentant season, uh, a time of penitence, a time of meditation. So we don't do as much of of the singing, the joyful exuberance. We have said farewell to alleluias. Uh, We as pastors will not raise our voices and chant uh, in song until Easter Sunday morning. Uh, so uh, for those of you at early service, it was probably a little different from last week. I mean, we still had some singing. It just a lot of the responses were spoken. So late service people just kind of wait for that. But that's all part of the preparatory uh, nature of Lent as well. Okay. Um, we are continuing as well our journey here in Professor Marquardt's book, uh, The Saving Truth, Doctrine for Lay People. And we're on page 123. Uh, this is chapter 8, One Holy Church on Heaven and on Earth. And we pick up with the uh, last full paragraph uh, there on page 123 Uh, to, while I wait for that, uh, to kind of summarize from last week, we talked about, um, you know, taking your automobile and, 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 you know, having it, it's designed to be used, right? Uh, the, the, The biggest challenge with having anything mechanical is just letting it sit, okay? Um, and so uh, my dad bought a 1971 Triumph Bonneville. Raise your hand if you know what that is. 650 Twin. Uh, bought that uh, in 1971, summer of 71 in London, England. And uh, he had ridden bikes back here in the States, but uh, he wasn't aware that the uh, English uh, do things opposite, meaning that the controls, uh, both for the hand controls and uh, the foot controls on a motorcycle, in England are exactly opposite, and no one told him that. So uh, he goes over, he's a, you know, 25, 20, no, no, he would have been, let's see, 26. He would have been 23 maybe, I guess. And uh, so he goes over with a wad of cash. He's going to spend the summer in Europe and uh, he's going to do what all the cool guys do. He's going to tour Europe on a motorcycle. So uh, he's trying to decide between a BMW and a Triumph, and, of course, uh, Back then, the triumphs were, were just kind of cool, right? And they, they still are. So, so long story short, he goes into the dealer, he buys this bike and uh, rides it uh, right out of the garage there on a busy street, has no idea that the controls are opposite. 
and uh, and about lays it down, hits a car, almost hits a car on the other side of the street, and uh, and and wrecks it. Long story short, he tours Europe uh, through the whole summer. He spends a couple months studying under Franz Schaeffer at uh, La Brie. Uh, they're in Switzerland. Some of you know a little bit about that. Some of you don't. Um, and uh, and and the week before he's supposed to come back to the states, this would be end of August. He was a school teacher at the time. Um, had to come back to teach school in Springfield, Missouri. Um, they were riding um, along the uh, uh, English Channel, and uh, one of the guys he was riding with, they were watching, uh, I don't know, watching something. I mean, obviously, it couldn't have been the sunset because that's looking east. Uh, but the guy hits the little stone wall. The bike goes flying across the road. My dad swerves to miss the bike, thinking the guy is still on it, and ends up running right over the guy's chest. So he and my dad are in, in, in the hospital now for like a week to two weeks, recovering from injuries from the motorcycle accident, okay? Well, he's got to decide what to do with the motorcycle, right? You like how I take a short story and make it long for you? <laughs> so he's got to ship the bike back to the States, you know, crated up if you've ever, you know, shipped anything overseas. And, uh, and so uh, he, he has the bike fixed before he ships it. And uh, anyway, gets the bike back home, gets it unpacked, and figures he's going to go surprise his mom, okay? And the way he surprises his mom is he rides the bike over to her house, and he gets the idea in his head he's just going to kind of do donuts in the front yard and wake her up at 5.30 in the morning. Well, he proceeds to do that, <laughs> but then wipe out on the motorcycle in the front yard, and it hits a tree, <laughs> And, of course, my grandma comes out of the house, and she's freaking out because there's a guy doing donuts in her front yard at 5.30 in the morning, and it turns out it's her son who's now laying flat on his back in the front yard with the motorcycle wrapped around a tree. Are you, you picking up all this? So after this, my dad decides maybe he shouldn't ride motorcycles anymore. And so the bike sits. Uh, my uncle actually rides it for a little while. Um, I grew up, you know, seeing this motorcycle. It was in the barn for a while, and then it kind of got moved to garage to garage. I mean, we would go out as kids, and we'd hop on it and, you know, make motorcycle noises and imagine what it was like to ride it. This bike sat for like 20 years. What happens when something sits? The cylinders rusted up. Most of the rubber rotted. Tires were all, you know, cracked and all that other stuff. Right? So the short lesson to the long story I gave you is you've got to take care of what you have. Know what you have, use it wisely, and you've got to maintain it. So that's kind of where we ended up with Marquardt uh, last year. And by the way, that motorcycle's in, been in my garage for 15 years, and I ride it every year, and I take care of it, and no, I've never wrecked it. Mark Halverson has actually ridden it, so, okay? So... Um, so we finish up there with Marquardt, unless they visit service stations regularly, unless they take care of their car, unless you take care of your spiritual well-being, body and soul, um, that which God has created cannot fulfill its purpose at all. So similarly, Marquardt concludes, church is the indispensable life support system of Christians, or in Marquardt's words, the service station. So church is vitally important because it's here that you come to get air in your tires, gas in your tanks, and to have things fixed that are not working right, okay? Um, and so the, the church is vitally important. It's all part of how God has designed that, okay? It's, it's not just mere window dressing. 
Okay, so here we go in the next paragraph. All this can be so, however, only if what actually happens in church is what is supposed to happen according to the New Testament, right? So the question now in terms of, okay, so we're a church, what does that look like? What do we do? What's the most important thing, okay, or things, okay? Um, Of the apostolic church, we read that its life revolved uh, around four basic elements, okay? The didache, that's the apostles' doctrine or teaching, So they took what Jesus had given them, uh, they handled it down to their disciples and so on and so forth. That's number one. Number two, koinonia, fellowship, which probably means a little bit more than what you may realize. Number three, the breaking of bread. That's an easy one. And that's not Wednesday, potluck, nacho night, Mexican night. Breaking of bread is the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. Okay, Um, That's Monday, Thursday. Uh, and four now, the prayers. And you notice when you ever see this, it's the prayers, not just prayer in general, because it's the prayers in terms of the liturgia, the liturgy, the way now that Jesus taught his disciples to pray uh, and how we understand that and why we have a hymnal in the church, why we go out of our way to make sure that the hymnal is sanctioned and approved. Okay? So you, you might hear a few things you hadn't really thought about before. You know, one of the challenges that all denominations have uh, is falling away or ignoring that which they've either agreed to do or abided to do. For us as Lutherans, what we do in terms of liturgy, how we worship historically is very, very important. Okay? Uh, but in this day and age, it's become do whatever you want to do. Okay? And that's why when you go out and visit other Missouri Synod churches, you don't always know what you're going to get, do you? You don't. You might get a decent sermon, but you don't know if you're going to get the same liturgy. You don't know necessarily what you're going to sing. Okay? Uh, there are things that are audi offer. I mean, you know, that, that'll look a little different. Pastors might dress a little differently. You might have different vestments and colors. Uh, but for the church, the, the liturgy, the order of service, the way we worship was never adiaphora. Okay? And so let's go to Acts 2.42 real quick, if you can pull that up. Okay? Acts 2.42. Um, and Mark Hart's going to give some scripture passages to this. Um, okay. Uh, go back up just one. Go back up just a little bit. Let me look at this real quick. Okay, yeah, go, go ahead and go back down. Thank you. That's good. No, nope, go the other way. Let's go to 42. Let's read it together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay? Um, so th- this is what they devoted themselves to. Uh, and there's a lot of meaning behind these, this, the, these things that are, that, are, that are taking place. Mark Hart goes on. The life-giving apostolic doctrine or gospel on, what, on which the church is built, and you notice he says apostolic doctrine, meaning that which is passed down, okay? Um, that which is passed down uh, or gospel on which the church is built has priority over everything else in the church. And so let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 20, and then we'll go to Galatians 1, verse 8 to 9 after that. Okay? I want you to put a few things together here from Scripture. He does a good job with this. Um, it was probably, probably during my vicarage year of seminary that um, someone connected 
what Paul writes to Timothy about the pattern of sound words with Acts 2.42 and some of these other passages. Because one of the things I really struggled with, because I came out of kind of a contemporary worship, just reach people where they're at, do whatever you know needs to be done, be all things to all people, which was kind of meant you're just kind of all over the place. Um, and then I... I <laughs> I saw in Scripture that there's there's a pattern and a design um, that uh, has been passed down from the apostles, and that's part of why we have the liturgy and wow that. And, w- and when I when I made that connection, it was like wow, um, okay. So there, there there there's more to it there. So let's look at uh, which one is it? Uh, Ephesians two twenty. Let's read that together. Uh, let's go back up to nineteen. You ready? So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's a powerful passage there when you start to kind of put all that together. Go back up just a little bit, okay? Uh, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, you're fellow citizens. So being now a, a Christian in faith and being baptized literally changes your, your, your whole status. Your, your citizenship now is no longer in the world. Uh, your father, if you will, is no longer the devil. Okay, This is why Paul talks about adoption. Um, and so you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And, and, and so early service people just, just make the connection about how God's people in the past wanted to be like the world, okay? Late service people, just wait for it. We'll get you there, okay? Um, but we need to recognize as Christians that, that we're different, <laughs> and we're called to be a holy people, and we're, we're set aside, and that means what we do and how we do it is going to look starkly different, and even how we, we live our lives, Okay? Now, we're still going to enjoy the things of this life that God gives, okay? Uh, These are gifts. God gives, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Um, But uh, now our faith and even our very identity now has been completely changed. And there's a foundation. And you notice it's a foundation of not just the prophets, but also the apostles. And that gets ignored as well. So what the apostles now taught, what they practiced, you know, that's why we, we study um, you know, the early church, and, and, and we look at that, okay? Now, it's not just about repristination in the sense that we're trying to go back and do things exactly the way they did, okay? Um, but we're trying to go back and say, okay, what are the foundational concepts? What are the things that are important? And that's what Marquardt is trying to teach us here, okay? Any questions about this passage? Y'all are y'all good. All right, okay, let's move on to the next one. Uh, Galatians 1, 8 to 9, okay? So this becomes now the focus, you know, of, of the church. So Galatians 1, 8 to 9. Um, okay, here we go. You ready? Let's read it together. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So how much are we supposed to pay attention 
to what's being preached and how it connects to that which Jesus gave to the apostles. Is that a big deal? If you believe this is the Word of God, and I do, then that's a really big deal. So we need to pay attention to to what's being preached, and not just to what's being preached, but how does that compare to what was preached from Jesus to the apostles, and from the apostles to their disciples, and so on and so forth. Okay? Uh, Very important. Okay? Questions, comments? Marquardt goes on. Hence the Reformation's great stress on the centrality of preaching. And if you could pull up real quick uh, the uh, St. Mary's altarpiece, Cronach. Okay, let's see if we can blow this up a little bit. Some of you recognize this. Some of you have seen this in Germany. This is one of my favorite pieces of artwork. Okay, I would love to find some way to have a... (laughs) I actually have bought the rights uh, to this. I had to pay a, a photographer in Germany to take professional uh, snapshots of this. And then I had to pay uh, the city of Wittenberg uh, for uh, permission to use those photos, okay? Um, um, The good news is is, uh, Deutschmarks are are (laughs) a little lower value, so it didn't cost as much as you might think. So I've got these high-resolution digital photos uh, that I can have turned into, you know, we actually put this up over our new Narthex, zoom back out just a little bit, uh, at, at my last church in, in Nebraska, uh, we had, uh, there, there's a, oh, what's the process called? Gickley? 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 Say the word, G-I-C-L-E-E. Any printing people in here? And, and, and so it's a printing process that kind of makes it look like, like paint, and they put it on kind of like gator board. But the nice thing about it is that it, it'll last like 100 years. <laughs> it won't fade. Um, and so we actually reproduced this and uh, put this on the entrance between our narthex and our sanctuary we, the, the back, in, back in Nebraska. Um, and I stole the idea from our international center, LCMS International Center in St. Louis. They built a new small altar about 10 years ago, and they built a replica of this. It's about one-third the size. So if you ever go through St. Louis, make sure you stop at the LCMS International Center and go into the chapel area, okay, because there's, there's a replica of this that is, that is built, okay. Um, but look at the focus quite briefly on the left side, of course, you can guess is baptism, the center panel, Lord's Supper, it's all about the Mass. Right side, nope, you can't quite, yeah, you can kind of see, move the mouse there, what's he holding in his hands? You probably can't see it very well, they're keys. So this is the office of the keys, Jesus says, whatever sins you bind on earth are bound in heaven, okay? Whatever sins you loose on earth are loosed in heaven. So, so here we have over on the left a penitent man. Um, this is actually Luther's father confessor that is uh, pictured there. Um, and uh, so the key is being used, the loosing key to forgive the man that's penitent. But now you see just by the body language, this guy over here with a sword, he's kind of turned away. He wants nothing to do with forgiveness, so he's being bound in his sin. His sin is not absolved. Okay, so that's, that's power of the keys, office of the keys and confession. Zoom back out, okay. And then look at, at the bottom. So there we've got, uh, you know, the three sacraments, if you will. Uh, of course, when we talk about confession or the office of the keys as the third sacrament, there's no physical, visible means, right? And that's why there's kind of been this long-standing debate. Do we have two sacraments or three Um, And so you'll hear me kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth on that one. 
Because you get absolution through all three of them, correct? And that's the most important thing, okay? Luther, when he joked about the office of the keys and confession, he said it definitely would be a third sacrament if the church is really cold and you could see the pastor's breath. I forgive you, right? And there's this cloud, this kind of haze, you know. There's your visible element, right? So Luther kind of joked about that. So, so when you read like Lutheran church fathers, you'll hear them kind of go back and forth with that, okay? So we say confession absolution is kind of like the Lutheran third sacrament. But if we say, how many sacraments do you have? We say two. But then you got confession absolution, which is there as well and part of the catechism. So it's just kind of this awkward Lutheran thing, right? You want to get into a discussion with a Lutheran pastor, you know, if you, if you meet somebody you don't know, say, well, what do you think? Is the office of the keys the third sacrament or not? And I guarantee you'll get some sort of answer, right? <laughs> okay, now underneath this, this altarpiece, of course, is Luther in the pulpit preaching. And, and this is why I, I wanted to remind you of this artwork. Th- this is the emphasis on preaching and on the gospel. This was something that, that Luther really fought to restore um, and, and why we work really hard at our seminaries in training our men uh, to be able to understand Scripture uh, and to train them to preach because preaching is so important, okay? Uh, and so Luther is preaching to the people, and you see back then they didn't have children's church. You see both old and young people gathered together in the presence of God, okay? Probably quiet, uh, crying, squalling babies, Okay? Maybe they smelled every now and then because they filled their pants. Um, so you got old and young alike gathered, okay? Um, you know, some of you young parents will come and apologize to us as pastors, you know, if your kids are a little noisy. To be honest, we as pastors love it. Now, I know some of you with hearing aids don't like it, and I understand that, okay? And so if, you're, if your kids get kind of out of whack, we've got a nursery and a cry room. And now, thanks to Pastor Grady and the trustees, we actually have a nursery that's got a, 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 a flat screen on the wall so you can see and hear what's going on in church if you need to take kids out so you're not going to miss too much of it. Okay, And the trustees fix the speaker system. So, And I think, Pastor Grady, we're going to put another one in the other nursery as well. Is that correct? Where are you? I didn't see you. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's going on, okay? Because we want everybody to be a part of that. So if the kids get crazy, take them out. But that's okay if they're, if they're a little noisy. They're kids, okay? And don't forget, we've got activity bags. We've got the, the small bulletins as well for kids that can read and write to help guide them through it. That's something new we've offered as well. But preach Christ crucified, Paul says. That's what we preach, okay? So you should always, when you hear a sermon, okay? And I'm going to totally disagree with a couple of my professors from seminary. When you have a sermon, you should always hear of what God in Christ Jesus has done for you through his life, death, and resurrection. I have a hard time saying that a sermon can be a sermon if it does not connect you to what Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection. Now, you can maybe have a Bible study that doesn't go into detail, but the purpose of preaching, we preach Christ crucified, okay? Um, And I remember arguing with a professor, not just at seminary, uh, but also at a pastor's conference several years later, he said, well, I can imagine a sermon where you don't have any gospel at all. And I, and I totally disagree, respectfully, I wasn't rude about it. I didn't throw fruit at him or anything or go key his car, slash his tires. I totally disagreed with him from Scripture. I said, we preach Christ crucified. So, you know, thus, thus the concept of, of, of law and gospel, okay? 
Um, and yes, you know, some of the new stuff, we talk about two kinds of righteousness, uh, you know, righteousness before God and righteousness before man, and those are important things. But, but ultimately, the sinner is absolved by what Christ Jesus has done for us, and that needs to be proclaimed, okay, kerusot. Uh, has to be always, we're called to do that, and that's part of the vows we take. So, so I'm not a big fan of, you know, when I, when I hear other kind of sermons that are just kind of self-help or kind of, I call them, do this sermons, right? Where you just kind of give, you know, I'm given a list of things you need to do, okay? Now, we should give you some instruction on holiness of living. We should admonish you to good works. That's very confessional and from our confessions, okay? And we have another problem uh, in our sin, and I don't want to get too far. We have some pastors who say, you know, we shouldn't preach at all about good works. Just preach the gospel and let the gospel do its work. Well, see, then again, you lose the the law and the gospel. It's got to be a balance, and we see that from Scripture. Okay, zoom back out. So just just a little bit to kind of make you some connections. And keep in mind here, in a year and a half, we will have another Lutheran Heritage Tour. So uh, we're getting ready to release the information to you uh, with the dates uh, and that. If you haven't gone before, uh, pray that you will consider that. Um, And so we'll start having some fundraising for that. Uh, and we're going to hit some sites for that. Pastor Feeney has, uh, uh, man, he's a good tour guide, isn't he? I've never gone on a Feeney tour. I've heard all about him. Um, so he's organized and laid all this out. Um, and uh, uh, Pastor Grady and I uh, are planning as of right now both going. So we'll kind of be your pastors for the trip. And Pastor Feeney uh, is really looking forward to just kind of being the tour guide. And he's pretty excited about that, he and Solvay. Uh, so, uh, so pay attention to that because we'll stop. We'll be seeing uh, some of this historic artwork, okay? Um, so, so just so you know, when we talk about even the Reformation 500 years ago, where the emphasis was, and the emphasis was on what the church is about uh, and what the church does. And, and these were the primary means now, word and sacrament, okay, preaching the gospel uh, that, that were so important, Okay. Questions or comments? You guys are kind of lame today. That's okay. All right. Uh, So let's move on here. So the second item, fellowship, that's koinonia, uh, does not merely involve affability or camaraderie, as suggested by, quote, the fellowship halls, right? We call this a fellowship hall, the modern churches. And that's why you got to make sure that you, you do a little digging with terms, right? So even terms as we use them in the church, don't necessarily refer to, you know, or have the same connection from Scripture, okay? So when we use the term fellowship hall here, that's not necessarily the same type of meaning as it would have from Scripture. Nor, for example, you've heard the term elder. We have elders here in our church. And you might open your Bible, or you might do a word study and see the word elder. Guess what? Not the same thing. No, elders in Scripture actually ordain pastors. Did you know that? So don't go reading your Bible and then applying what it says in the Bible to our current elders. Not fair to them, okay? Um, So the term elder in the church, uh, CFW Walther, actually borrowed the term from Presbyterians. um, And originally it was was lay elder was the term, and then it just got shortened to elder. There's a really interesting history on that. Uh, Mark Nispel has done some good, Dr. Mark Nispel has done some good work on that. Dr. Albert Culver has done some good work on that. Um, that kind of takes us back to that. So, uh, so, you know, it's important to understand the meaning of words as culture or current church culture and then understand from history as well, okay? So he goes on here about fellowship, uh, the likely meaning 
and let me back up. The word means sharing or participating, and therefore often means concrete aid and support. And let's look at a few passages here, okay? Because this is kind of interesting when you when you when you when you understand what koinonia for the early church meant. So let's go to Romans twelve thirteen. We're gonna we're gonna roll through these real quick, Matthias. Romans twelve thirteen. So it's probably a little different than what you think of, okay? Uh, let's read it together. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Same word is used there. Okay, thank you, Andy, for making my point for me. Uh, let's go to Romans 15, 26. Okay. Um, so this, this word is, is uh, okay, 15, verse 26. Where are we at? Okay, here we go. Read it together. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. You picking up a theme? Let's go to the next one, Galatians 6, verse 6. Okay, here we ready. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And then let's go to the next one. Phil, uh, that should be Philippians 1, verse 5, not Philemon. Philippians 1, verse 5. Yep, here we go. Let's read it together. Uh, or go back to, uh, go to 3. Let's go to 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I like that phrase right there, partnership in the gospel, okay, is a really good word for understanding uh, fellowship. And I think we've got one more to read, correct? Uh, 4 verse 15. Here we go. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now look at how Paul phrases that, in giving and receiving. So the fellowship is, <laughs> it's caring for the poor, the widowed, and the orphan. It's caring for uh, the pastors and those who serve the church, okay? Um, it's uh, joining together uh, in, in, in not just giving but also receiving the Lord's gift. So this word fellowship is, is a little more broad, and it also has some teeth when it talks about how the church gathers together and how it cares for one another, right? Um, so, you know... We, we are called from Scripture to care for each other as the body of Christ first and then look outside second, right? Now, sometimes you'll hear as churches, what are you supposed to do first? <laughs> what? Yeah, you better go, 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 get, go outside. Well, yes, evangelization is important and, and mission is important, but the church's first job is to care for each other, right? It really changes kind of the whole, you know, aspect of that, to care for one another, okay? That's why in the early church, those of you that have been through uh, Dr. Just's uh, study on the liturgy, 
which was actually filmed here at Advent. Some of you uh, longtime members know that. Um, you know, he talks about how the early church uh, would have kind of uh, two altars set up, two separate areas. One altar would be the collection of, of gifts and not just money, food, bread, clothes. And so people would come when they would gather together and at this altar they would, they would bring now all their gifts to care for one another, to make sure that those that need in their congregation were cared for first. Okay? The other altar then, of course, was where they would receive, okay, the giving and receiving. So here's giving, what we give, and it's not necessarily back to God, it's for the sake of others, okay? The receiving now, that altar is where we receive the Lord's body and blood uh, of Jesus, okay? And, and they did, you know, didn't, didn't want to confuse those two. So, so they worked really hard to kind of separate that, okay? So this concept of fellowship is, is a little bit more than sometimes what we realize. Any comments or questions on that? Nope. Okay. You guys are really smart. Okay. Yo, yes. Oh, he's got a picture of the, the, of the altarpiece. Ah, that's good. I'll have, to, I'll have to get down there to say I've been down there a couple of times down at St. Peter's. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Meyer. Um, okay, uh, so as for the breaking of bread, bottom of the page, this refers ultimately, no doubt, to the breaking of the bread in the sacrament, although it probably includes that fellowship meal, uh, the ag- agape uh, meal, agape, that often preceded the sacrament and caused the problems of which we read in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen and following, right? Uh, so in, in, in Corinth, uh, the Christian church, uh, let's just say they really like their meals, <laughs> And they really liked their liquor. Um, and uh, so their love fest uh, turned into a, you know, weekly uh, men's steak night. No, I didn't say that out loud. Um, <laughs> that's not completely what it is either. I'll get in trouble for that one with somebody. Um, so, you know, it, 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 was, it was more than that, okay? Uh, more than that in terms of, of what God has given. Now, the last item then is the prayers, Rather than simply prayer without the definite article, as in some translations, it suggests set liturgical forms, not a shapeless praying. Okay? Uh, so this is where we start talking about later Gia again. First century Jews recited set prayers at stated times of the day. These forms of prayer included also certain psalms. For instance, Psalm 63 at the time of the morning sacrifice, Psalm 141, uh, let my prayers be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice uh, at the same time as the evening sacrifice in Psalm 4 at bedtime. Okay, and You'll see some of this in our matins and vespers services. Uh, this next year we're, we're hoping to, to offer a few more opportunities for worship. I would love to do a matin service uh, sometime during the week. May only get 10, 15, 20 people. Uh, maybe it's Wednesday before Bible class or after. Uh, we do a portion of matins with our preschoolers. Uh, we teach them a part of that. Obviously, as preschool, um, you know, <laughs> they can't read yet. So uh, trying to teach them perhaps the, the whole Tadeum. <laughs> I might have the teacher's revolt if I throw that one on them. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, but, but uh, there, there's some great history before that. And more, more, more than that, it's, it's, it's just, it's, Scripture has such 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 great use. So, and I'm a pastor. I like to go to church. So, yeah, you can blame me for that if you want. Okay. Uh, there are also hymns and spiritual songs. 
uh, Colossians 3.16, not campfire ditties, right? My son was working through, um, he's had a really good piano book uh, produced uh, by uh, uh, the church out in Council Bluffs, uh, Nate Sherrill's book, Dr. Gordon Christensen, um, and it's a piano book that teaches the kids how to play uh, by teaching them hymns and sacred music. And so he's kind of worked his way through that, and so now he's moved on to a different uh, piano book that his teacher has. And so I'm out in the driveway, and I, and I hear something from my past, and I'm not sure if I'm hallucinating or having a vision, um, you know, or the four horsemen are riding for me to come drag me to hell. Um, kumbaya, my Lord. I grew up with kumbaya, right? And, and I, I know I understand it's spiritual. It, it doesn't really say much of anything, right? It's kind of this, this, you know. And so he's playing on the piano, and he's not playing it well. Sorry, Mark. Uh, it, which is even worse, <laughs> right? And so I come in and ask my wife, what is he playing on our piano? I do not like that song, right? And, uh, you know, yeah. So when we hear the spiritual songs from Scripture, you know, there's so much more than sometimes what we might think of, right? I remember when I showed up on Vicarage, Pastor Poppy, in 2002, um, that that church had been kind of wildly contemporary, and he was slowly trying to get them back on track. And there was one song that had become part of their creative worship liturgy that they couldn't let go of. And, and, and it was, As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul hungereth after. You don't mind my uh, singing, right? And so as the deer panteth for the water. And they, had, they, want, they were used to singing that every Sunday. Every Sunday, okay? Um, now, there, there, there's parts of it that are okay, but it's kind of a schmaltzy song that doesn't really say a whole lot. Some of you may like it. I'm sorry. Um, you know, we're not going to do it in our, here in our church. Uh, and, uh, and if he just couldn't get the, the congregation, they just loved it. It was just part of who they were. Does that make sense? And so sometimes it's hard to kind of, you know, uh, you know, take those things away, right? So if you, it's like if you've got a kid that's used to having a knuck-knuck in their mouth, a pass, pacifier, whatever you call it, and there comes a time where you have to take it away from them, what's that like? Yeah, you don't want to go through those years again, do you? <laughs> right? Uh, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging. Um, and so, you know, you, you, so the spiritual songs, that which Scripture speaks of, is, 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 is we, we have a hard time relating to that. Okay? And that's what Mark Watts get at. It, 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 it's a lot more than that. Okay? Oh, my. Um, hymn, spiritual songs, not, camp, not campfire ditties, but deeply theological confessional composition. Uh, for example, and we have some examples of these from Scripture that you may not be aware of. New Testament canticles, uh, Song of, of Zechariah, okay? uh, Song of Moses, Song of Miriam, Old Testament, New Testament um, that were, were set to music. Uh, and we actually have uh, the majority of those in our hymnal as well. Okay? There are probably creedal hymns like Philippians 2, 6 to 11 or 1 Timothy 3, 16. Uh, the apostolic church kept the customary hours of prayer. So the, the, the early disciples and the, and the pastors they trained under them understood that it was the role of the pastors to, to pray for the people and to serve the people. So thus they would have, are you ready for this? They would have a daily service of some kind, always. May only get one or two people that would show up for it, right? Um, and so, you know, this last week, because of the weather, uh, Pastor Grady and I got to talking, let's just do a service at 1130 for the people that can't, you know, get out at night. 
Um, and we ended up having about 30 for that. And, and after doing that, um, I mean, the, the, the real challenge, of course, we want to make sure we have, you know, an elder, an usher that can help for security reasons, you know, get an organist and stuff like that. So, but we talked about it, you know, we can do this more often, okay? So granted, it's only going to be a, a small amount of people, but, uh, you know, we as pastors, part of our job is to pray on behalf of the people um, and, and to do that. And so the early church understood that and did that as well, okay? Um, these developed into a cumbersome system in medieval monasteries, simplified by Luther into daily matins and vespers. Uh, see also morning and evening prayers in the catechism, with the full service of word and sacrament on Sundays and holy days. Personal prayer and devotion grew within this larger frame, shaped and supported by the daily, weekly, and annual rhythm of the church's abundant life and the word of Christ. So we may say that the four elements of Acts 2.42 mark the worship of the apostolic church as doctrinal, sacrificial, sacramental, and liturgical. So I want you to make sure you understand here the connection that Marquardt is making. What were the four originally? The didache, the apostles' doctrine or teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And now Marquardt teaches us to understand these as doctrinal, sacrificial, sacramental, and liturgical. So fellowship is to be understood as sacrificial. That which we do now for one another, you know, care for one another. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, one of the things I asked our, our elders last year when I came on um, was to start making phone calls to all the members. So we know, we know what's going on. Okay, there's no way it's hard to do just for one or two pastors for six, seven hundred people. And so we, we share that, we do that work together. Um, and so if you haven't, you'll be getting a phone call from, you know, an elder that is assigned to you. Um, talk with them, share them. That way you know you've got somebody else you can call. We put our cell phone numbers in the bulletin. You can call us anytime. And everybody's like, I'm not going to call pastor. He's too busy. That's our job. Don't deprive us of our job. Okay? <laughs> so if you have need for something, call us. Text us. Let us know what's going on. Okay? Uh, and, and we will do our best to care for you. And if not, we'll arrange, you know, to have some other help if we can't personally do that ourselves, okay? Uh, but you've got more than just us as pastors. Look around. Look at all those that are gathered here, okay? So th this is part of the sacrificial life of, of laying down your life for your neighbor and caring for one another, okay? Uh, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard work, okay? But we, we try and do that together, okay? And be patient with each other, Okay? Um, so two of these, preaching in the sacrament, we're almost done, move from God toward us, right? So this is where everything initiates, God toward us. This downward mode of worship is more generally called sacramental. Uh, the upward mode in which we offer our gifts and prayers to God and to our neighbor is called sacrificial. So God and his grace take the initiative. Early service people put a big red bow on this. Late service people, wait for it. Therefore, God's holy means of grace, not fickle human moods, belong at the center of the church's life. So the order and reverence of the church's worship must not yield to pop religious itches for sentimentality or entertainment. I like Marquardt. Okay. All right, questions or comments? We've got a minute here before we close. Any words of wisdom? Anything you like or didn't like? You want another donut, don't you? I understand. Okay. Enjoy the uh, warm weather. We've got some sunshine again today. 50s all week. 
So thanks be to God uh, for this time of year. Don't forget next week, uh, time changes. We spring forward. Um, so don't forget to uh, set your clocks forward by one hour. Okay? Um, so we will do that here at church. So <laughs> if you show up on today's time, <laughs> you'll get what you get. So, okay. Nothing else? All right. Uh, hope to see you, if not later today, then on Wednesday for our midweek Lenten services. Please stand. Let's close with Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us again to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you.